0: All right, church family, the epistle of 1 John chapter 3. If you would take your Bibles and join me there, or maybe your phone or or your iPad, let's go to 1 John chapter 3. And if you need a Bible this morning, just raise your hand. Don, who's in the back, will be glad to share a copy of God's Word that we keep in that place, just in case somebody needs one. There's also a note page in your bulletin. Can I ask you to, to grab that? It would really be a uh, a help to you, and, and and I would be grateful if you would do that as well. And church family, as you can see, both by the the note page and also by the screen on the on the wall, we return today to our current study series in First John, being real Christians in an unreal world. We have been for an extended time away from First John. Ever since Thanksgiving and then all the way through the Christmas season. And then last week we were celebrating New Year's and New Year's thoughts. All of that has taken us away from uh, our study series. But we are back again today. And I hope that you are ready. Are you ready to get back into First John? Because I am ready to step back into this amazing book with you. Now, since we have been away for a while, just by way of the most brief uh, kind of reminding and refreshing Recall with me that the Apostle John, the writer of this little letter, is the last living disciple of Jesus, original 12 disciples. John is in his mid-80s. He's an old man, and he is still pastoring the church at Ephesus in Asia Minor. And he also serves as the overseer of many other churches in that general region. We have come to learn through our study that he is writing to Christians, And he's writing to Christians with a very focused purpose. He's writing to tell these Christians how they can tell the real Christian from a phony, from a fake, from a I want to be a Christian in name only person. That's really the target of this letter. There were false teachers who were spreading a a new and dangerous message that we now refer to as Gnosticism. Gnosticism still exists today. It's been renamed and repackaged, but the message is basically unchanged from the first century. The message was that you can have a personal relationship with God apart from faith in Jesus Christ. Now, that's pure heresy, isn't it? But that was the message. You can have a relationship with God without Jesus being in your life. And the message also said you can pretty much live any way that you want with regards to sin. Uh, because sin is is really just confined to your physical, material body. It's not the real you. It's not the spiritual you. So sin is pretty much inconsequential. Live any way that you want. And then you can also treat those who don't agree with this message, you can treat them in the most unloving way and you and God are going to be good to go. That was the message of the Gnostics. Now such a message... Uh, is very appealing to the fallen sin nature. And so this, this teaching was spreading rapidly. It was gaining traction throughout Asia Minor. Inevitably, because it's just how Satan works, these false teachers and their message were beginning to make inroads into the church, bringing confusion and, and drawing no small number of, away from Jesus, away from the true gospel of salvation by grace alone through faith alone in Jesus alone. This false teaching was having a significant impact, and so John, holy spirit inspired, pens this letter to confront this false teaching and help Christians distinguish god 's truth from the teachers the teachers' lies, the real follower, Jesus, from the phony follower. and John will, in effect, say, "You can always tell the real from the unreal in three ways: by what they believe, by how they behave." And by how they love. And so over the course of five chapters in this little letter. John repeatedly circles around again and again. Three, four times uh, in different ways. He will point out how real Christians believe. How they behave. And how they love. Today in verses 4 through 10 of chapter 3. John's going to speak again to the matter of how real Christians behave. How they live their life. We don't have to be around a church very long before we get confronted with some rather troubling questions. How about this one? Someone that that uh, uh, who doesn't go to IBC comes up to you and says to you, "So and so goes to your church, really? I would never have guessed that they went to church, to any church." And you kind of just shuffle your feet a little bit and you feel a little uncomfortable when you, when you feel that. Or, or you're talking with an unchurched acquaintance and they say, Did you hear what so-and-so is doing? And he calls himself a Christian. You ever had that come your way? Yeah? Or someone asks you, Didn't so-and-so grow up at IBC? Now she wants nothing to do with Christianity. She wants nothing to do with the church. In fact, she's running full speed ahead into the world. Is she going to heaven? You ever been asked that question? These kinds of questions come up more often than we might think. And we can become fairly adept at at kind of deflecting them so long as it's not someone close to us. But inevitably what happens? It's going to be someone close to us eventually. So what about it, church family? Is so-and-so going to heaven who's living like that? Can so-and-so be a Christian when they're doing this and this and this? The Holy Spirit, through John, wants all of us to grapple with the relationship between a real Christian and sin today. As you see it there on your note page. What is that relationship between a real Christian and this thing called sin? Though it is ground we've already been over, let's begin uh, reacquainting ourselves with the passage by starting at verse 1 of chapter 3. I will read and ask you to follow along. And here's what John writes. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children. What's the next word? Now. Now. We are God's children now. Let's stop right there for just a second. We have been, through faith in Jesus, adopted into the very family of the living God. We talked about this the last time we were in 1 John. We have been adopted into his house, members in full standing, co-heirs with Jesus of the kingdom of heaven. These verses celebrate the length to which God loves us, not simply saving us from sin and, and judgment, but he takes us to this astonishing place of adopting us into his family. Christians are God's Children, Real Christians are God's children. He's our Heavenly Father. We relate to Him not as a judge, but as a Father. In fact, Scripture, we learned when we were here last, even gives us permission to call God our Papa. How awesome is that? Papa. John says, Be sure you understand, this is how God the Father sees you right now if you are in Jesus Christ by faith. He sees you as his child. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, that is when Jesus comes, as he's promised that he will come back, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. John points to the first century lovers of Jesus and to the 21st century lovers of Jesus at IBC. And and he says, if you are real, if you're a real Christian, then you're going to long long, For what Jesus is and what Jesus cares about, you're going to long to be what Jesus is. Not just when you see him face to face, you're going to long to be what he is right now, to the best of his your ability as he enables you. You're going to want to be him. You're going to reflect his character, his values, his love. You will want to be like him if you are real. This truth carries John forward now into verses 4 through 10. He says, everyone who who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he, that is Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. we'll stop right there. Verses 4 through 10 are new ground for us to cover today. Now, if you were to ask me, what is the key, if there is a key, what is the key that would unlock this passage? I would have to say it is verse 9. And we're going we're to start there. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. I believe this verse opens up the entire passage to our understanding. Remember that chapter 3 began with the words, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. Beyond trying to get our heads around this amazing truth that we're God's kids, John says that this relationship is one in which God's seed abides in us. It lives in us. It resides in us. Now, seed, as you may know, is It's an ancient word. It's an ancient biblical word. In fact, in the Bible, this word refers to the contribution of a father in reproduction. We're aware of that. We've known that. It brings about new life. The seed of the father brings new life. So what does it mean here? How is God's seed in us? This is really important for us to understand. Great question. Glad you asked it. So let's go after that. God's seed abides in us, according to scripture, in three very specific ways. Through the word of God, by the truth of the gospel, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. These three, working in concert together, in combination, produce in us new life and a new nature. This is the seed, the word of God, the gospel of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. But let's back all that up with some scripture. Scripture tells us that, that your new life and mine, when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, begins as a result of us encountering the word of God. Would you agree with that? You are in Jesus today because you came into contact with the word of God. The living word of God. In 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 23. There on your note page. Also on the screen. Notice the word picture that Peter draws for us. The seed and the new life. Brought through rebirth. He says you have been born again. Not of perishable what? Seed. But of imperishable. Through the living and abiding word of God. This is the true gospel. Of Of Jesus Christ. It's contained in the word of God. Now what is the gospel. That is in the word of God. What is the gospel. We've been over it many many times. But to simply respond to that. It is who Jesus is. And what he has done. Appropriated into my life. By grace through faith. Right. That's the gospel. Who Jesus is. Who is Jesus. Well he's God in flesh. Isn't he. He's the God who came from heaven to earth and put on our flesh. We just celebrated that here at Christmas. Who Jesus is, God in flesh. And what has he done? Well, he died on the cross to pay the sin debt that you and I could never pay. He died our death so we could have his life. He became sin so we could have forgiveness of sin. And we say amen to that. And he rose from the dead, proving that sin and death do not have power over him. That's the gospel. Who Jesus is and what he has done. The apostle Paul writes in Romans one sixteen: For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for what? For salvation. To everyone who believes, to the, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or to the non-Jewish person. And so the seed is the word of God which holds the gospel of Jesus and then the Holy Spirit takes both of those and works within us to produce faith and new birth, a brand new life. The result is that what is birthed in us is a new nature, a spiritual nature that is alive, the very life of God recreated in us by His Spirit. Back that up, Pastor Tim. How about Titus chapter 3, verse 5? He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. In other words, we don't save ourselves, right? We can't do that. But according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of whom? The Holy Spirit. Now, near the bottom of your note page, notice how the Holy Spirit brings all three components of God's seed into the same passage. Second 2 Thessalonians 2:13 2, and 14. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. that's the word of God. To this He called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ born of God by the word of truth, by the gospel of Jesus, and by the Holy Spirit. That's the seed. In the physical realm of a husband and wife, when the seed and the egg are united at conception, a new life begins. We know this. There's no life, and now there's a brand new life. Spiritually the same is true. Before Jesus, we were spiritually lifeless. You were, and I was. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says, we were dead in transgressions and sins, right? That's our story before Jesus came into our life. The only nature we had was our sin nature, and there was no God life in us before Jesus. Verse 9 says that unless we are born of God and have God's seed residing and abiding in us, our bent, our natural lean is going to be towards sin, towards unrighteousness. Because that's our nature. That's that's what we are. Now, because of a common grace that God has granted to all people, because of the remnants of being image bearers of God, though we are spiritually dead before we know Jesus, uh, sinful mankind is capable of doing some honorable, kind, loving, noble things. But by nature, by action, we are sinners from birth, dead in transgression and sin. In fact, that's precisely what David himself will admit in Psalm 51, verse 5. You know these words. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my what? My mother conceived me by the time I was born. But the love of God comes and the grace of God comes and then Jesus comes and the gospel comes and then the Spirit breathes faith in that gospel into our dead unbelief and births in us a brand new life. We become, brothers and sisters, the miracle children of Almighty God. And that's what John says. We are children of God now. His DNA is in us now. And that is why John can say as he does in verse 2, we are, present tense, the children of God right this moment. His DNA flows in your veins through faith in Jesus. Now, if you flip your note page over, this this new nature that we receive powerfully creates new desires and a new ability to love God and to love what He loves. An ability that we didn't have before we received this this seed. We're able to do what by nature we had not been able to do consistently before. That is say no to sin and yes to righteousness. And this is what happens to us when we're real. We have God's DNA. We can do righteousness and do it consistently. 2 Corinthians 5.17, words that many of you have memorized. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, or we could say if God's seed is in you, he is a what? A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. A new nature. This is verse 9. Simply stated a different way. No one born of God. Makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. He's a new creation. And he cannot keep on sinning. Because he has been born of God. The old is gone. The new has come. Have you ever noticed how much kids resemble their parents? Have you ever noticed? Of course you have noticed. Uh, and it can be in any number of, of ways. Physical appearance, tall, short, wide, skinny, hair, no hair. Uh, it, it can be the sound of a child's voice. It sounds like mom's voice or dad's voice or maybe the way they talk. I can still recall the Sunday morning years ago when I was greeting at the back door after service and this lady comes up to me and she sees uh, our son walking across the parking lot of the church and she says to me, he walks just like you. And I've never forgotten that. Now, I have no idea what that means. uh, How I walk, I must walk a certain way but, but it made me feel good that he walks like me. Maybe it's shared hobbies like hunting or, or fishing or, or working on cars. Or, 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 or dad loves the Angels baseball team and so the kids love the Angels. Right, Brandon? Yeah? In fact, they better or they got to move out, right? Right? The the common well-known phrase that we have for this basic display of resemblance of parents with their kids is is like father, like like son. Like mother, like daughter. daughter. Yes, yes. The nature of the parent is in the child. That nature shapes who the child is. It shapes what the child is going to do and be. And that's really what John is saying. God's seed is in us. His DNA flows through us. His nature. God birthed it there by his word, by the gospel, and by the Holy Spirit. And if we are real, we will be like our Father. Which is why John can go so far as to say as well in verse 9, the real Christian cannot cannot keep on sinning. If that phrase is not underlined in your Bible, you might want to do that. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Verse 6 says essentially the same thing. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. What's the Holy Spirit saying to us through John here? Is he saying that real Christians don't sin? Is that what he's saying? Is he saying that, that God put his life in us and so we never sin again? Is that what he's saying, church? Well, I hope that's not what he's saying. Because if that's what he's saying, I am in big trouble. And so are you. Of course, he's not saying that if that's true, man, we are in trouble. John made this clear way back in the beginning of our study in chapter one, verse eight. And again, in verse 10, if we say we have no sin as a Christian, we deceive ourselves. We're going to sin. There's no sinless perfection while we live in these fleshly bodies. We have a new nature. But our old nature, though it has been dealt a death blow by faith in Jesus' cross and resurrection, it still strains to express itself any chance that it gets. Agreed? What John is doing here is confronting the heresy of those false teachers who we mentioned earlier, the Gnostics. They're they're telling everyone that sin's no big deal to God. You don't have to worry about how you live. Sin is confined to your physical, material life. It has no relation to the spiritual you, which is what God really cares about, says the Gnostic. And so you can sin all you want. You can sin any way you want. You can sin as much as you want. God and you are going to be good to go. You talk about a message that plays to the sin nature. Man, oh man, the Gnostics were trying to, to downgrade sin and, and really upgrade their own spiritual status. That's what they were doing. In fact, you know, uh, you you drop the bar down low enough and everybody can be a world-class high jumper, right? (laughs) Right? Just drop the bar down low enough. Which is why John begins this whole section in verse verse 4 by saying, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning, meaning habitual, reckless, persistent, ongoing, sinful rebellion, everyone who makes a practice of sinning, really doesn't care about sin in their life, also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Now, on your note page, sin, by definition, is the failure to live according to God's law. His holy character, which he has expressed in his law. To live counter to his nature. That's sin. And lawlessness is active rebellion against God and his law. Habitual, reckless, persistent, ongoing, sinful rebellion. Romans chapter 8, verse 7, the Apostle Paul says the same thing John says For the mind that is set on the flesh is what? Hostile, rebellious, lawless to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. It cannot. Hostility towards God is the natural bent that is resident in the unsaved heart. And sin is how this residing hostility towards God is expressed. It's expressed as lawlessness. Lawlessness. Now earlier I referenced Psalm 51:5 where David said, "Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time that my mother conceived me." Boy, I got a fresh reminder of how true that is. This past Christmas, just a couple weeks ago, as we had our kids and our grandkids up to our house and we celebrated Christmas, our grandkids are four, three, and two, and we had a blast at Christmas time with them. Granna and Papa, when they came, they came on a on a, on a Friday uh, and, and Grandma and Papa had made the upstairs off limits because we had some gifts stored up there that we were going to bring out later and we didn't want the little guys to, to see them and so they were out of sight. They were at the top of the stairs and out of sight. Can't go upstairs. Well, at one point, four-year-old Jaffrey gets on the stairs, about a quarter of the way up the stairs, and she turns, and so she's standing out from the stairs, and she's looking out from the stairs, and she's looking at me. And I have been turned away, and I turn around, and I see her. And she sees me looking at her on the stairs. And neither one of us says a word. And then, I'm not kidding, she slowly lifts her leg, puts it on the next step and lifts up and just looks at me. And my eyebrows raise and then she does it again. And my raised eyebrows now go into a furrow and I go like this. And she stops and she comes down. Now, church family, what happened in that moment? I'll tell you what happened. Spiritual DNA happened in that moment. The reality of a sin nature happened. It happened in slow motion. Within a four-year-old little girl, the law was given. Don't go upstairs. The lawgiver looks away. There's... A probing move and a mischievous gleam in the eye. There's an almost overwhelming compulsion to go up. Before the law was given, our, da- our granddaughter, I'm guessing, really would have had no interest to go upstairs. But I gave the law. We gave the law. Something within her suddenly wanted the next stair and the next and the next. Why? Why? Because the sin nature is lawless and it rebels against any constraint. The sin nature is law-hating. I must climb. I must have the next stair, even at four years of age. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning For God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Christians are going to sin. John acknowledges that. We know that. But persistent, ongoing pursuit of sin is no longer our ruling nature. We have new DNA. The ruling force of our lives is the life of God. It is the life of Jesus, is it not? We have a new nature, and by that nature, we will not continue in habitual, reckless, sinful rebellion. We cannot. That's what John says. If you're real. Now, let me illustrate this. It's like the difference between sheep and pigs. Now, I didn't grow up on a farm. I haven't been around farm animals all that much, but I've watched a few episodes of The Incredible Dr. Paul. Okay, I've picked up a few things along the way about farm animals, sheep and pigs in particular. Sheep and pigs both get muddy and dirty on a farm. However, each looks at that experience very differently. Sheep get muddy and dirty, but they don't like to. They, they would prefer not to be muddy and dirty. Their nature is different from the pig. The pig loves to get dirty. Loves the mud. Now, pigs will occasionally get cleaned up if they're going to go to the 4-H show. But that's not where they want to be. Where they really want to be is in the mud. Right? The sheep will occasionally get muddy, but they prefer to be clean. A pig will be happy to stay muddy all the time. Now, Imagine, in your mind, a Midwest farm. Got that in your mind? It has rained for days, and the animal yard outside of the barn is a muddy, muddy mess. The mud is so thick, and it has become so deep that one of the animals is stuck in the mud. I mean, really, really stuck completely covered in mud. No one can actually tell what kind of animal it is. It's just this pile of mud with two eyes looking out. Can you imagine this in your mind? Okay, you got the scene? Days pass and no one knows what to do. The animal is still in the mud. And so they call Dr. Paul, the veterinarian. to say, Doc, we have an animal encased in mud in the yard outside of the barn. Can you help us identify the animal? And Dr. Paul asks, what kind of, of animal do you have at your farm? And they say, we have sheep and we have pigs. The doctor says, how long has the animal stayed in the mud? It's been there a week. Well, sir, the doctor says, I can tell you it's a pig. It's a pig. But we talked to the animal. It told us it was a sheep. Well, All I can say, it doesn't matter what that animal says, it's a pig. No matter what it says, it's a pig. (laughs) No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So allow me to translate those two verses using our little barn farm animal illustration. No sheep makes a practice of staying in the mud, it's a sheep. It cannot stay in the mud because it was born. A sheep. By this it is evident who are sheep and who are pigs. Whoever stays in the mud is a pig. Right? When someone who claims to be a Christian, yet determines to continue in sin, no, I'm not going to change my course. I love this sin too much. I must remain in the mud And this, despite the warnings of God's word, the conviction of the spirit, the pleas of godly friends who come along and confront and care and and do this over time, this professor of Jesus desires to remain in the mud. His or her true nature is being revealed. That's what John would say. No matter what they may say, They're not born of God. His seed cannot be in them. For if it were, they would not keep on sinning habitually, in rebellion, continually, persistently. And this is what the Holy Spirit is saying. Verse 7 and 8. Little children. Real Christians, John says, real Christians, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he, referring to Jesus, is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. For John, this is so serious, man. There is no mincing of words here. No sugar coating to buffer our sensibilities. Mud dwellers... Habitual, with no regret or remorse, sin practitioners are not Christians. They are slaves of Satan. They are enslaved and they are hell bound. Little children, let no one deceive you. You will live out your true nature practicing righteousness or practicing unrighteousness. The last part of verse 8 The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Praise God. As we end now, give me, for just a few moments, your full attention on the heels of all that we've talked about. If you are today a professing lover of the Lord Jesus Christ, you claim. That He is your Savior and your Lord. And yet you have been in the mud in some area of your life. And you know exactly what that means. No one has to spell that out for you. If that's true, you know what the mud is. If that's what you're doing. You're professing love for Jesus. And yet there is this place in your life where there's mud. You need to know. That is is sin, and that that sin is a destroyer. That sin is a cancer in your life. Jesus shed his blood for that sin that you are choosing to do. Recognize who you are and what you are doing. You are a blood-bought son or daughter of the God of the universe. Come to your spiritual senses. Confess that that sin. Repent of it. Ask God to wash you clean and to restore you to the the place of joy that he, He bought for you. Stop practicing that. Leave that mud behind. Come clean. Now that's for the one who's real. Because we all sin, right? We need to confess that there's sin and address it and be done with it and go on. That proves real. But friend, if if, if today you're here at the Bible Church and, and you're claiming that you believe in God and that you know there is a Jesus, but you've been in this same old Mud, a long, long, long time. Maybe it's time to look really, really hard into the deepest part of who you are and ask Am I really a child of God? Am I really a Christian? Am I real? Have I been deceiving myself all this time? All this caked mud? on me, on my life. This sin has never not been a part of me. And to be honest with you, I've really never wanted it not to be a part of me. Am I real? You know, if you if the answer to that brutally honest question of yourself this morning is, no, I'm not real, then today's the day and now's the time to become real. Yes? To truly, genuinely, repentantly confess your love for, your trust in the one who got into the mud for your sake and died for you so that you could live clean. Ask Jesus to be your Savior and the Lord, not just with your head, but with your whole heart and with your life and discover what it means to be clean. You've never experienced anything like it in your whole life. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. That final phrase reminds us again that for John, being real is evidenced by what you believe, by how you behave, which is what we've been talking about, and by how you love. And Lord willing, we're going to get to come back and talk about that how you love portion of things Because that's what John's going to talk about all the way to the end of chapter 3. But today, it's all about being clean. Whether you know Jesus or yet need to know Him, it's about being clean. Whose DNA flows through your veins? And would we know that by the way you live? Let's pray together. Well, Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, how we thank you for your word today, precious to us, and brutally honest as well. And we're grateful. We are so grateful. Father, as we sit here and as I stand here, man, each one of us who know you, Lord Jesus, as we know you, we we, we can look into our lives and there's mud. There is sin. There's places where we don't go your way. And we're so sorry that's true. Help us to break the chains if there's some troubling sin in our life as a real Christian. Help us to to be released from that by the power of your spirit, with the help of other brothers and sisters, the honesty that comes from being true with you. And oh, if there be one or more than one in this room this morning who has thought... That they might be a Christian. But their life has totally contradicted that. But Lord, now they want to be real. They want to really get real with you. May today be the day and now be the time. They would confess you, Lord Jesus. Cry out to you. And you would change their eternity. You would give them your DNA. Your life and make them clean if that be you this morning if you want to know what that means what it means to experience life in Jesus don't leave today without talking to me or someone else that you might know here don't leave today till you have done that we love you Lord but only because you loved us first and all God's people said amen and amen